If you are interested in starting your own podcast, we use Buzzsprout because it is simple and easy to use. Buzzsprout can get your show listed on every major platform while giving you the resources for a great podcast website, audio players that can drop into other websites, detailed analytics to see how people are listening to your podcast, and tools to promote your episodes. Podcasting isn't hard when you have the right partners, and that is why over 100,000 podcasters are already subscribed to Buzzsprout to get their message out to the world. Following the link in our episode descriptions, let's Buzzsprout know that we sent you. So in return, you will receive a $20 Amazon gift card from Buzzsprout while signing up for a paid plan. Most importantly, every subscription through our link is always appreciated and helps support our show so we can continue delivering the quality content that you guys listen to. That being said, back to the show. Hello and welcome to Comic Book Junkies. I'm Andrew. This is Joe. And we're coming back at you with a certified classic, X-Men Days of Future Past by Chris Claremont and John Byrne. So our digital reader has several issues. We'll discuss that a little bit further into the pod. But we are going to mainly focus on issues 141 and 142 of the two-part storyline. A lot of you who aren't comic nerds, I guess, who aren't reading heavy, um, you may have seen the movie. I'd recommend the comic, but uh, there is a movie available if you're not much of a reader and you want to get the gist of what we're talking about. But yeah, it's a good classic X-Men story. I mean, it's from arguably the best creative team on X-Men and X-Men history. So yeah, Joe, what do you what did you think? Well, first, I can't really compare it to the movie. I never watched it, so I can't say if it's faithful or you haven't seen it. No, I avoided it. I didn't think it would be very good okay i mean i just like it because of uh ian mckellen and patrick stewart they want to destroy us charles they want to destroy the mutants and he's like no they don't your old friend and (laughs) turns out yeah they did bro (laughs) well that's enough to go see it but if you don't want to see it and you want to listen to our review that's what we're here for um but i guess before we get into days of future past i could give a little recap of the issues leading up to it x-men issue 138 That's where it starts off in our digital reader. The story starts with Scott Summers, a.k.a. Cyclops, standing over the grave of none other than Jean Grey. Cyclops is narrating the story. And by the way, if you want to know more about how Jean Grey died, this issue takes place immediately after the Dark Phoenix saga, which we reviewed earlier on in our catalog. And in my opinion, is still one of our best episodes. But back to the story. To sum it up, This is not a part of Days of Future Past. The issue is about Scott Summers' decision to leave the X-Men because of what just happened. And in this issue, he reflects about his whole journey, basically recapping everything that happened from issue one till this issue. Everything. Including like fights with Magneto, Juggernaut, the Sentinels, how he was one day brave enough to tell Jean Grey how he feels about her. And the issue concludes with him leaving and Kitty Pride's decision to join the X-Men. After this, it sends us to X-Men Annual Issue 4. This was probably the worst issue in our digital reader. The um, X-Men go to hell. Yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> the issue And basically uh, Nightcrawler yeah. beefs with his adoptive gypsy mother and uh she sends him to fake hell to punish him for 
killing his uh, adoptive brother, but uh, turns out he made a pact with his adoptive brother, and his adoptive brother was like a shithead, and then, you know, obviously the whole rest of the gang's like, we're a family, we're not letting Nightcrawler go, and then, uh, you know, through the power of friendship, family, and also love, um, everybody comes out unscathed, and, uh, you know, Nightcrawler gets a happy ending on his birthday, you know what I'm saying? Hmm. I don't remember reading about the happy ending at the end of this issue. Um, but... <laughs> you need to read between the lines, brother. <laughs> yeah, but... His adoptive sister girlfriend person was, whoa, she showed up. That was a little. <laughs> I didn't understand that. <laughs> I didn't understand Killed his that adoptive either. brother. They share the same mom adoptively. So, I mean, technically, at least they're not blood, but like it's a weird familial thing. It's kind of. <laughs> <laughs> Crawler's such a freak. He's European, bro. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> so <laughs> it was a very European issue. And <laughs> lastly, that takes us to issues 139 and 140. So issue 139 is part one of a two issue storyline. Kitty Pride is getting adjusted to just joining the X-Men. So Storm and Professor X kind of do their best to make her comfortable. Uh, the other half of this story is Wolverine and Nightcrawler making a trip to Canada in order for him to tie up some loose ends because I guess he left Canada on some bad terms. Wolverine kind of gets sucked into a battle with uh, the Wendigo somehow, but I'm not complaining because this was actually one of the best parts of the non uh, days of future past stuff never really understood how powerful Wendigo was so shout out Berger for getting me his first appearance in comics also another important thing to note about this issue I recently picked one up for pretty cheap because it's the first appearance of Wolverine's new costume and it's also the first time Kitty Pride goes by the code name Sprite issue 140 basically sums that storyline up so Wolverine and Nightcrawler successfully helped take down Wendigo Canada is now cool with Wolverine again, and Kitty Pride is still nervous, but is breaking out of her shell a little bit. And we finally get a preview of what's to come next, which is the blob breaking out of prison. And for those that don't know, the blob is a OG X-Men villain. But that takes us right into the meat and potatoes, which is X-Men 141. Whoop, whoop. And X-Men 141 starts off in a pretty dire uh, circumstance, especially, you know, compared to the other issues. Um, it's kind of a different setting because it's 21st century uh, Manhattan. Total dump. Turns out an older Kate Pride. Kate, not Kitty, by the way, is trying to meet up with Wolverine. And, you know, there's kind of like not, not a lot of context, obviously far into the story. It's just a few pages deep. But there's basically rogues, you know, not the X-Men, more of a marauder gang type thing. And she falls into a trap ready to kill her, basically, because they don't like mutants. But Wolverine shows up and he shows them guys a thing or two without his claws, by the way, because it turns out that the Sentinels are always watching and if you know a mutant power is to be used they can sense that and they'll be on you like flies to dog shit so it turns out like in the broader sense that you know everything including manhattan the united states is a borderline post-apocalyptic scenario going on everything's kind of like a fascist dictatorship ran by sentinels and you know whoever's in charge of them at this time because it turns out there's been plenty of people who have made and then remade sentinels and all kinds of stuff so that's convoluted and that's just in x-men terms but uh turns out that 
Kate Pride and Wolverine are trying to rendezvous because they have a secret plan going on. They have a little jammer that they pass to each other, and it's part of a greater plan. Um, so it turns out mutants are kind of held in like an internment camp, and uh, they have dampeners and stuff like that. The Sentinels actually are basically in full command of all of North America. And the rest of the world, uh, especially because Wolverine's kind of, you know, hanging out with the Canadians, uh, the resistance, the rest of the world's kind of looking at us, waiting for the Sentinels to leave North America. And as soon as they step foot off American soil, that they're basically going to nuke the shit out of us because obviously they don't want giant robot overlords taking over the entire world. But after Wolverine and Kate kind of, you know, meet up for the little swap, he says that, you know what, I'll be back to save you again later. Yeah. And since the turn of the century, most mutants and heroes were killed off and everybody has been branded with either like an H for human, A for anamorous. So they're like mutant potential and they're not allowed to get laid. So those people can't breed. Yes. And M for mutant. And that determines their class and whether or not they're able to breed. Kate Pride is branded with the M and is usually forced to stay at this camp because she was unfortunate enough to survive the mutant massacre and therefore has to work kind of for the Sentinels. We find out only four of the X-Men survived this whole ordeal, including Kate Pride, Wolverine, Storm, and Colossus, who all live in the base with her. Uh, we also find out there was one survivor of the Fantastic Four, that being Reed Richards, but everybody from Hulk, no. Iron Man, Captain America. That's Franklin. Oh, my bad. Young Must've. Diggle Frank. Yeah. Because actually it takes place in 2013, which I didn't realize. So it's a grown up Franklin who who does resemble Reed. He's even got like the little down to the sideburns and everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. I guess I, I, I misread that. But that being said, everyone's together at the Sentinel camp. And I say camp like it's a like it's a fun place to be. But Kate relates it's one time she... at mutant camp. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but Kate relays that she was able to sneak in that jammer that Berger was referencing, which completes this machine that they're about to use. So a character named Rachel now helps Kate uh, in putting her into like a meditative state that sends Kate's mind to her body 30 years in the past, which is 1980. So that being said, it is a success. She is able to take over her younger body, which gives her the opportunity to warn the X-Men about what's going to occur 30 years from now. That being said, though, the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants is planning on murdering the senator and the professor at that time in the 1980s, which is going to set in motion this like nuclear holocaust. So it doesn't take long for the X-Men to believe Kate Pride's story. So they take her to Washington. The senator's death is kind of advertised as a result of the growing mutant population. And that's why the Mutant Control Act was created so their goal is basically to get to washington as soon as possible to warn both the professor and the senator before either of them get killed which will hopefully prevent this future from happening the goal is to prevent a situation where the government reactivates the sentinels as a part of the mutant control act which is escalated into the sentinels taking over the country yeah, and while all of this is going on in the past, we do have both storylines going on at the same time. So while Kate's back in her old body back in the 80s trying to, you know, undo that timeline, uh, more or less, 
Um, we do also get flashbacks to the future of the gang, you know, who's left remaining, which I did find funny, which I didn't stop and mention. But Magneto's rolling around in a wheelchair now, just like his uh, former homeboy, Charles. I just thought it was kind of funny, you know, not like it's funny that he's in a wheelchair, but just, you know, he's been fighting a guy in a wheelchair his whole life. And now he's in one, you know, wheelchair guy. And now he's rolling around and he's like, oh, what's up, everybody? Like, and they're just like, oh, hey, Magnus. Oh, how's it going? <laughs> it's like, what the hell, dude? You guys been fighting each other forever but any who's it you know the gang's running through the tunnels they're on their own mission you know while kate's back at, in the past because you know they can't just you know hope that that's all that happens and you know twiddle their thumbs and they're running through the tunnels everything seems fine for a second and then all of a sudden like boom right through the ceiling of the tunnel a sentinel comes in and just vaporizes franklin which is like nuts because technically speaking franklin's the strongest one out of any of these people and he got taken out the easiest which was whatever dude i thought if he didn't have his dampener on at that point that i whatever anywho's it but uh turns out his homegirl rachel is tough as hell too she destroys a sentinel and not for not knowing too much about her unless i'm just you know blanking on like what her code name is or who her other self is in like the mainstream continuity she was pretty tough hell and then we do see uh colossus and wolverine doing like a fastball special which is you know kick ass i mean that's iconic because chuck and wolverine into a sentinel suite you said um, rachel yeah i don't know either but correct me if i'm wrong could it be scott and gene's daughter that would make sense but i guess there's not confirmation well in the context of the story i couldn't confirm that but that's kind of what i was thinking but who knows you know what that probably does make the most sense but regardless you know they managed to take down three of the sentinels uh which is pretty impressive uh you know all things considered um but three more are coming right after them and i mean colossus he goes dumb in this story because he brings like a whole hotel down on them and just like even the sentinels like screamed which i didn't know they did that but uh he was just destroying things left and right and you know kind of being like the og or you know like the biggest gangster of the group outside of wolverine but you know back in the 80s we're getting towards the end of the issue here where mystique is actually roaming around the pentagon in uh you know undercover with her powers if you didn't know she's a shapeshifter of sorts um and she's leading a new brotherhood of evil mutants who are largely like lame because we got what the blob avalanche pyro and destiny running up with her so i mean the blob's immovable but i mean you got a fire guy and an ice guy whatever and then you know destiny who's blind with a crossbow <laughs> yeah, dude, she just, uh, destiny will show her where to shoot i guess but uh yeah so she's got her gang and you know they're ready to be ne'er-do-wells and uh the blob's not really a big fan of this uh leadership structure it's like one of the multi-marketing schemes to him he's like no this is bullshit he's like i got more experience than all you guys i used to work for the original brotherhood of evil mutants with magneto he's like i don't really mind taking orders from mystique that's not really what i plan on doing but uh you know everyone kind of starts inter-squad beefing over it and they're like shut up fatso you don't you're not smart enough for this just let her do her thing and uh ultimately they set aside their differences so they can bust in and start tussling with the x-men which they were very surprised to see and that's kind of where it leaves us off so there's a little bit of a cliffhanger with the two squads coming face to face which i'm not sure in the original timeline that's what happens but that's what's going on now 
facts and there is a sick fight to begin issue 142 which is the last issue of this storyline but between the brotherhood of evil mutants and the x-men uh even though the x-men kind of have to fight at a disadvantage of having to appear civilized so that they don't get demonized and put into the same category as the bad mutants but avalanche the blob and pyro all get defeated and turned into custody but mystique finds a way to break away and leave Nightcrawler with more questions than answers before she escapes. As the team is about to leave before the military tries to take them into custody too, they realize that they haven't seen the other mutant Destiny during that whole fight. And moreover, (laughs) they have no idea where Kitty Pride went, which leaves us on another cliffhanger, bringing the story back to 2013. In 2013, Wolverine and the rest of the living mutants successfully escape the Sentinels and head towards the Baxter building, which is the old Fantastic Four hangout. This has been the central location for the Sentinels because of all the technology in that building. So they believe that if they're going to put an end to things in the future, this is the best place to strike. The group is in the know of some kind of secret elevator and they take the elevator to what appears to be like a control room. Wolverine thinks he's got the one up on the Sentinels and he goes for the attack, but apparently the Sentinels let them get this far so it would be easier to to destroy them and they instantly kill Wolverine, which was sad to see. It was nuts. Uh, It was nuts. Storm does everything in her power to stop them, but she gets murdered too. That just leaves Colossus, who is kind of able to defeat the Sentinels in the building at the time, but he's in too much shock to do anything but feel for Storm, which just leaves Rachel, who's in charge of making sure nothing happens to Kate Pride's unconscious body. Yeah, we go back to the past. We see Kitty phase through Destiny, which is pretty sick because she's got more know-how because she's a bit... It's her older self, obviously, so she's she knows a few more tricks than she used to. But it turns out that, you know, Destiny has a blind blind spot. (laughs) (laughs) Pat myself on the back. But she does because she can't see, like, the full scope (laughs) of... Got him again. (laughs) Oh, man, that was unintentional. She can't sense (laughs) the future properly because uh, there's an anomaly going on in this timeline. And that anomaly is Kate's older consciousness in her younger body. So that is what allows Kitty to get the opening, to phase through her, and then like kind of solidify herself in a way just to kind of make her shoulder solid enough to throw off the bow, which in turn, you know, saves the senator because the shot ends up missing. So Kitty's older self basically ends up departing, going back to wherever it needs to be in the whatever the future timeline looks like, I suppose. And the day is essentially saved. That's not to say that things are completely averted, though, because there's a little bit of an epilogue there where I believe it's, you know, the president or some type of prominent politicians kind of consulting with uh, some uh, hardo named Gyrich or Gyrich, whatever, dude, I don't know how to pronounce it. And it turns out to be Sebastian Shaw. Even though Shaw's mutant, they he's still lobbying for uh, Sentinels to be made anyways. And they basically have plans to go right back into production and who knows how the future's going to go. He's like, if you ever seen the boondocks, like the Uncle Ruckus of... Yeah, 
Only good mutant is a dead mutant. <laughs> 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 yeah, dude. He's such a hard ass. <laughs> He's just like, I don't like them mutants. <laughs> Always getting into my business. <laughs> he really is like that, though, because, I mean, are they not going to turn around and, you know, sniff him out and be like, aren't aren't you a mutant? <laughs> He's like, no, <laughs> <laughs> couldn't be me. <laughs> <laughs> couldn't be me. You got the wrong guy. Yeah. But uh, and oddly yeah. enough, we'll get to our review just in a second. But there's one more issue to follow the ending of Days of Future Past. So I don't know who came up with this digital reader, but regardless, I just want us to get our money's worth. If you read it, I would have bought the individual issues had I known. But, hindsight. Yes. But if I was Destiny, I would have known. <laughs> <laughs> but 143, just in case you guys buy the same digital reader as us, it, they just try to build off the momentum that was started in the issues prior to the Days of Future Past storyline in the sense that Kitty Pride is becoming one of the X-Men. It's Christmas, so all the X-Men leave to do whatever with friends, family, whatever, um, leaving Kitty Pride home alone. It's there where she's attacked by some kind of gremlin demon thing, which chases alien. her around the house. Alien. Yeah. Alien from Alien. Yeah, <laughs> basically. <laughs> a xenomorph. And uh, this thing tears up the house, chasing her around until she finally has to fight it and wins. And everybody comes home and nobody's pissed off that the house is a mess, but they're just proud that she was able to hold her own, I guess. And so I think this issue was more so a character building type ordeal and made it like Christmas theme. So it was a little fun. But I guess the only other note to take from this issue is that Scott Summers makes a call to the house hinting that he may be back soon. Will he return? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Time will tell. <laughs> but all in all, that's the story, man. So, I mean, it was a good, you know, you get your money's worth out of the reader. But I mean, if you're really looking for just Days of Future Past, you can look them up individually and just buy the two issues. It's certainly cheaper. But I mean, Claremont and Burn X-Men's never a bad read. So we obviously were reading it. But for the sake of the story, 141 and 142 were the focus, just as a reminder. But that being said we've kind of told you what goes down in this digital reader and the story i think it's time for some reviews so what do you think joe what do you give this book the whole reader i would give an eight out of ten but issues 141 and 142 i'm gonna give a nine out of ten again it was too hard to pass up on just claremont and burn together so I felt compelled to read all of it. And like I was saying, issues 139 and 140 were actually pretty decent. So I'm not upset that I got more than what I was anticipating when I bought this. I would say I still think I enjoy the Dark Phoenix saga a little more. But for this just being two issues, like, man, did they nail it. It kind of reminds me of 1984 or any other dystopian thing that you have ever read, but on a really high level and just involving superheroes and villains, obviously. So classic story deserves all the praise. And there's a reason why it's still being referenced and read even in 2023. So really glad I read it. And I even read something online recently that they're trying to do some kind of prequel or sequel to uh, mm -hmm. this story. So I don't know, but maybe good timing on us. Regardless, I really enjoyed it and would recommend it. How about you, Burger? 
Yeah, I'm actually pretty close to you. I'd say as a whole reader, I put an 8, 8.0. Um, when it comes to just the two, I put 8.5. So it's really good. I agree with you. I think the Dark Phoenix saga was a bit more entertaining, but I think that was also, you know, just a longer form story that was, you know, very cohesive and tied together. But for this being like two issues, it's referenced in so many different things. I mean, it literally got adapted into a movie. Um, I mean, it's iconic. It's a really good storyline. And just the fact that they could do such quality and like fleshed out character development, stakes, all of of that within two issues and kind of wrap it up neatly while also you know keeping it ambiguous for what's moving forward in the book at the time because like they didn't fully avert that uh sentinel driven future literally at the end of the book they said yeah we're gonna make some more so i mean it kind of you know keeps you on your toes so it's like it had good like flow into what they were doing at the time i mean look at how many books we read nowadays that are like four part storylines like across four months and they're total ass you know what i mean like for them to do two and to like execute it was awesome the art's great I do like Byrne and I mean, Claremont. I mean, there's a reason that they basically have the guy on like a contract where he can't write anything anymore. It's so he can't go to the competition and put out any bangers. But yeah, I mean, I don't know if he'll be back for I'm sure he will be. Otherwise, they're doomed from the get go. But I did see that revival that they're talking about for the X-Men Days of Future Past, whatever type of storyline they're trying to drive off this. If Claremont's not involved, I probably wouldn't green like that but if he is it might be worth a read um i mean it has been pretty far after the fact who knows but now i'm just getting in the weeds the book this is a great book to read i think if you're an x-men fan it's pretty close to mandatory reading i would say because i mean you figure like outside of like the early issues in the 60s i mean it wasn't really you know up until what issue 94 that they really started getting going again writing new stories and especially ones that were interesting with the new team which by the way love the new team probably the best thing for the x-men obviously i mean they could have gone back with the ogs but you know there's just something about the new team that's so endearing i don't know if it's just from when we grew up and watching the like animated show seeing them featured so much but you know colossus and storm and everyone like that and nightcrawler all badass yeah and i guess to play off the last episode we recorded about our top 10 female characters in all of comics like storm really shows why she's the leader of this group in this story and yeah. across the whole digital reader. And I would say it is mandatory X-Men reading. It might even be the first appearance of like Destiny and that new Brotherhood of Evil too. There's a lot to it. And I bet you could reread it a few times and gain a little more every time you read it. Kind of like the granddaddy of dystopian comic book novels. Absolutely. You want to let them know what we're going to do next time? So next time we are going to do another topic. Berger and I were going back and forth as to what we should do. And I think we came to the conclusion of this topic. Does a person's favorite superhero tell you anything about their personality? What does your favorite superhero say about your personality? And is someone's hero someone else's villain? So stay tuned. Absolutely. And while you're staying tuned, make sure to keep your eyes on socials, unlike Destiny. That's at CBJ Pod on Instagram. That's CBJ Podcast on Facebook. I mean, honestly, those are the main two places to check us out. You can shoot us an email. You could find that on our socials. You know, ask us questions at cbjpod at gmail.com. You know, make sure to, you know, spread the good word about comic book junkies to anybody that will listen to you. We'd appreciate it. You could do that for your other pods, too. Won't beg you, but, you know, rating, reviewing, and the 
you know, the five stars and all that wherever it's applicable. You don't got to do it, but we appreciate it if you do. So does any podcast that you do that for? I don't know how the algorithm works, but that feeds it and we could use it. But hey, we appreciate you just for doing your part and listening, you know, week in, week out. And, you know, we couldn't do it without you. Thank you, guys. We'll catch you next time.